Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Tonight, we're going to talk about an issue that's been going on in the National Independent Soccer Association, not just with one club, but apparently now with the league as well, and uh, to, to talk about this and Give credit to these gentlemen, of course. These are my colleagues at Beyond the 90. You can follow all of our articles at beyondthe90.substack.com. Joining me, of course, Carter Krishnire and Jonathan Starling as we are going to discuss these issues that have popped up. And Jonathan, we're going to go to you first. Um, obviously, you and Carter have been paying attention because you guys are in the state of Florida. You're in Jacksonville, and Carter is in South Florida, near Fort Lauderdale in Miami. But, you know, this issue with Club De Leon, ever since they became a pro club, has really been troubling, and it's just been hard to watch what their issues have been from, I guess, the moment they became a professional side. And please share with us your thoughts. Uh, I can't say I'm not surprised considering all the conversations that I've had throughout the years with our good friend, Kardik Krishnire. Um, Basically, even going back to the date that NISA – announced Club de Leon was formed as was was approved as a full member club for to join NISA from NISA Nation. Uh, they were already changing corporations. Um Club de Leon S C Corporation was formed on seven thirteen of, of twenty two. But the day that NISA's article came out with the announcement, they're already creating a new incorporation called Champions League Inc., all tied to the same two people, uh, Fabian Perrin being the principal owner of Club de Leon. And from there, it's basically been a boulevard of broken checks. Um, Some checks paid, some checks partial. Most checks, on the other hand, bounced. And when when a city fully complies with a Freedom of Information Act request, uh, that tells me that things aren't good and they actually want the story out in the public, which is exactly what happened in this instance when we um, made a request with regards to all of the payments that were made on Daytona Stadium. And that is very, very difficult pill to swallow there, Jonathan. I have to tell you, it's really such a shame that a club, especially a man that uh, wanted to move his club from the amateur level to the professional level. And Kardec, you know, when we discuss these things about lower level soccer in this country, you know, obviously we all want it to remain strong and to be a viable part of not just the community, but of course the area that it represents, as well as the uh, the amount of clubs that are in the state, whether it be Major League Soccer, USL, NISA, MLS Next Pro, uh, even UPSL. It's just really a shame that these moments, as negative as they are, has really come up, and uh, you have to be honest, it's bitten them in the ass. Yeah, and, and I and I want to give some credit to the city of Daytona uh, based on my conversations. They really wanted it to work uh, with Club de Leon. They um, had wanted. I, I, I was um, I was um, on the periphery of an effort to bring pro soccer to Daytona uh, in uh, the late uh, latter part of the last decade. That would have also been NISA, and then. Um, uh, the, the Daytona Soccer Festival, I had some preliminary co- conversations with them about uh, what they were doing, and, and they, of course, brought the Orlando Pride to, be, uh, to play a game against uh, Racing Louisville in, uh, in Daytona 
uh, at the uh, at the at the uh, racetrack uh, on July 4th. But there, there's been a hunger for soccer there, so I want to pay some tribute to that uh, to that city. Yeah, I, the, the situation is unfortunate, and I think Club de Leon is kind of in in some ways a victim in this. Um, we can discuss that uh, as we go forward in the evening. I think there is a lot. Um, right now in NISA that needs to be fixed. And, and NISA was an entity that we were very hopeful about. It was going to be an independent uh, soccer association of leagues, uh, uh, potentially, outside of MLS, outside of USL, uh, using some more, uh, using different principles, right, different organizing principles around the sport in terms of club independence, clubs owning the league, uh, having a, a um, no restriction on where clubs could 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 operate uh, based on uh, there being another team in that league in that market or or those sorts of things. Um, that having been said, none of that has played out. Okay, Nisa's rhetoric has been fantastic, and I understand why there are although there's a dwindling number of these people, Daniel, but there there are some adherents uh, to the view that Nisa is the great hope for for independent soccer or uh, more broadly for soccer. Uh, in this country on the men's side. Uh, they're starting a women's league next year, which hopefully will be more successful. Um, two years ago, if you went on uh, Twitter or the forums about uh, lower division soccer on Reddit or, or wherever, uh, or even um, read some of the stuff in, in, in publications like Protagonist, there was a push to think, you know what, maybe the teams that are in NPSL, they should get out. The teams that are in UPSL, they should get out. The teams that are in USL League 2, they should get out. If they're serious about independent soccer, they need to link up with NISA, and NISA can link everything together. Two years later, we're not having that conversation. We're having the conversation as to whether NISA um, will exist next season and whether or not uh, this whole thing has been a, 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 another farce uh, in the independent soccer space. So, uh, unfortunately, I mean, we, we can focus on Club de Leon. I think that's fair. And uh, as you mentioned, Jonathan and I are in Florida, so we've uh, got a, a particular uh, connection to that club and, and covering that club. Uh, but um, I think there are a lot of broader issues here with NISA. I agree with you there as well, Cardiff, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Jonathan, let's go ahead with the timeline here. Obviously, this whole thing got started back uh, last year, July 13th, uh, 2022. Now, we all know about the owner and Fabian Porain, who is the chief executive officer, but who is Olga Andrianov, excuse me, Andre Yanova. I want to make sure I uh, pronounce that person's last name correctly. Uh, what is Olga's tie with Club de Leon, or is that just a person who, uh, I guess, is a banking agent to help out Porain to get his club on the legal aspects of being a professional side? Um, your guess is as good as mine, and I think my guess is as good as Kartik's. Uh, nobody really knows. It's like the mysterious name that you put on a sheet of paper to, uh, as a title P to get get the ball rolling. Um, when digging into all of this, um, we came up with Four LLCs, the corporations, corporations that are registered with the state of Florida or were registered with the state of Florida. Um, the only one that was making payments to the city of Daytona uh, only lists Fabian Pran as um, an officer. So it, it makes me wonder if Fabian – I hate to say the word used, but but use this Andraniova to get basically set up and then ditch because all of the payments were not made from either Club de Leon FC Corporation. They weren't made through Champions League Inc., but they were made by a reactivated LLC by the name of uh, Kaba Investments, which was reinstated back in January of this year which makes you wonder if they were basically – if Fabian was having to use a third corporation just to get the season started, how much money did they burn through from July of 2022 to the time their first game was played? Yeah, that's very troublesome. And, Kardec, I think I can ask you this question. Is it strange that – 
Horain had to use multiple different entities to begin this business? I mean, going from uh, Corporation, Champions League Incorporation, the Kaba uh, Investments LLC, to finally all of a sudden becoming a professional club. And, and at the same time, Kardik, did Nissa really pay attention to the situations that how Porain got his club into the professional levels? I mean, shouldn't you think they would have been more informative or at least asking questions to find out what's going on here? Why are you creating more LLCs just so you can become a professional club? Yeah, you know, that that's all a very good question because, I, I mean, the way – you know, based on the way, my reading of the situation, one of the things that's that's pretty clear to me is that um, uh, Nisa uh, one really kind of urged Club de Leon and Foran uh, to go up quicker than maybe they, they they would have anticipated or they should have clearly right. Um, in fact, I know based on my conversations with uh, those involved in Nisa Nation last year. Where Nisa, Nisa Nation, of course, is the um, the Nisa equivalent of NPSL or UPSL, right? Sitting at the adult amateur level. Uh, although I, I should mention, NPSL is the league that actually has the designation as the uh, as the uh, uh, Premier League or top top flight league in, in, from USASA. But uh, ostensibly, Nisa Nation is at the same level, right? Because we don't really have a pyramid down there. Uh, but uh, as you know, Daniel, because you cover NPSL closely, it is actually technically the, the tier one league um, at, at the adult amateur level. So if you want to accept that, then Nisa Nation is, is, is a tier below, uh, would be in tier two. Um, so my understanding from talking to people at Nisa Nation is that this club was not ready. They didn't have the investment. They didn't have the infrastructure. Even though they had a lot of promise, they did really well. In the Nisa Independent Cup, they had done really well in Nisa Nation competition. They had done well uh, previously in UPSL, and that they had uh, a good core of academy players or local players. Uh, but that really should have been another year uh, in the amateur rank. But um, Nisa needed the team in the pro level to be sanctioned. So um, there was some some effort made to to uh, uh, to pull this team up uh, and. and uh, the idea of using different entities is really strange to me in terms of running through money in different entities before you start. It's possible that there was some money owed from one of the other entities to, to a venue or to a vendor. That's why typically you do that. So let me give the example, since we're speaking of NISA, of what happened with Stumptown, the Charlotte-based team in the league previously, where Stumptown – um, the initial Stumptown entity owed a bunch of money to a bunch of uh, 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 vendors. Instead of giving up on the Charlotte market or um, just kind of – and Charlotte's a weird one, right, because there's an MLS team there now, but both USL and NISA have tried to hang in that market. USL still has a team there in the Charlotte Independence. NISA folded one Stumptown entity – and created another one. And my understanding is this was done very much at the league level. This is very much directed at the league level. Um, that um, the, the, the new Stumptown entity came in with a clean slate with, tip, with uh, uh, on paper different owners that then didn't owe any of the liabilities that the previous Stumptown entity had. Now, I think Club de Leon may be a little different because Fabian Toran is involved in both, although I'm not sure – they wanted to give the appearance that he was involved in both. So that's, that's, that's uh, another question. But I do think ultimately we are looking at um, a situation where this could be a Nisa play. And Jonathan, obviously, uh, Porain tried to make a payment that was dated on uh, uh, for two games, you know, for – April 14th against the Vanna Clovers and then another home game against the LA force on April 29th. Uh, that payment was made on April the 11th and uh, bank of America uh, or I guess a, a bank in Daytona, you know, when they deliver the check, it was dishonored by the bank and uh Obviously, more issues came around. Now, obviously, there was a new check being made there on April 25th, 
of a Bank of America's cashier's check, even though they made a large payment, still they owed $444.60 for the next one. But then more issues still coming around uh, for these cashier's checks by Porain that just kept on being dishonored. And for those of us that are not familiar with that terminology, I know if a check bounced, Obviously, it's a problem, but when did, what does it mean dishonored, that the bank doesn't trust them, that they decide not to take the check? What does that mean, if you know the terminology? It's effectively a bounce check. Um, that that mm. the dishonored by the bank was the term used on the city of Daytona Beach's general ledger um, for um, all payments surrounding Club de Leon. Um, and uh, kind of we can kind of blitz through these real quickly. Um, the initial check for the games against Savannah and LA Force bounced. Um, they partially paid for the game against Gold Star. Um, they partially paid again um, for the game against Albi and San Diego, the first game on May 30th. That check also was dishonored, flashed, bounced. Um, they had another game with Albi and San Diego again a few days later. Um, again, trying to keep travel costs down. So I'll be in San Diego playing two games in Daytona basically in the same week. Um, that check also was dishonored and bounced. And at that point, um, by the beginning of, well, really the, by the end of the first week of June, um, Club de Leon owed the city almost nine grand. Now, what's interesting in this is on June 1st, why Olga would do this, I don't know. But Fabian and Olga both created Space Coast Professional Soccer Company, LLC, um, which leads me in my analytical brain to believe that June 1st was when the money ran out. That's amazing. That's really amazing to hear that, Jonathan. It's just really... I mean, I got to tell you guys, I mean, this is really troubling when you hear these stories of financial issues with an ownership group. They're trying to create new businesses just to keep one business alive to move forward. And Kardec, you know, you, you got to wonder and think to yourself, I mean, I know it's really enticing to move up from the amateur ranks to become a professional side, but... Like you said, maybe they went up a season too early. Do you think poor Rain should have stuck to his guns if he had an idea to not make the move yet, yet he was maybe seduced by Nissa to make the move up? Yeah, yeah, I'm not exempting him from blame in this because Nissa is constantly needing teams and they're constantly bringing teams. Like they have three expansion teams coming in this year, uh, supposedly for 2024, one of which is a resurrection of the team that has previously gone out of business with a different owner, although the club president will be the same. Um, so, and, and they had a club, in, in, uh, uh, they had a club in, in Northern California that had problems during the season last year. They had a club in Phoenix uh, that had problems last year. They're, they're going back into that market. So they're always desperate for clubs in a way USL uh, uh, isn't. In a way, look, and I worked at NASL, full disclosure for those who don't know that. Um, and we were always flirting with being down to 18. I, I think you remember that well, Daniel. You covered the league. But never at any time did we take dubious ownership groups. I mean, maybe we were too, uh, con- we were too concerned about vetting ownership groups and making sure that they could compete at a certain level and uh, compete with the likes of the New York Cosmos, who had a lot of money, and, and, and uh, uh, later Miami FC, who, who, who had basically an MLS level, uh, full disclosure, I worked for that club too, but basically had an MLS level play, payroll uh, for a season or two. Um, Miami FC did. And, and so we wanted to make sure we could bring in ownership groups that could compete uh, uh, fairly with those clubs. Uh, you know, other clubs in our league, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Tampa Bay, they had a lot, they spent a lot of money, those clubs as well. Uh, Minnesota obviously moved on to MLS, so they, they were a good club. Um, so we didn't go around picking up teams from – and we had a working relationship with NTSL, but we didn't keep trying to tempt NTSL teams up in order to uh, uh, meet the numbers. The only team we brought from a lower tier 
into NASL after we were sanctioned. Now, there was stuff that went on before in 2010 um, to try and get uh, uh, clubs uh, to, 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 so that we could get initially sanctioned. But after we got sanctioned, after we kicked the ball in 2011, the only club we did it with was the Ottawa Fury, who were an active team in PDL, which is now USL League 2, and they were very, uh, a, a strong organization in the USLW League also with their women's team. So they were a built-out organization. We were able to get, um, enhance their ownership group and bring them into NASL. That's the only time we did that in seven seasons. Now, in NISA, they're constantly trying to bring up these teams, which I guess may fit their overall ideological bent as a, uh, quote, independent league. But um, I sense that they're too desperate to get teams up. Um, and their owners that probably are very naive. So I don't want to exempt Fabian Foran. He made a, a bad business decision, but he should have um, he should have talked to other owners. He probably should have talked to people who could have been cautious about uh, this project and how difficult it is to bring a team uh, into uh, the third division level. I mean, the jump from uh, the jump from the amateur ranks to Division three can be done successfully if um, you have a run-up and if you have a plan, a long-term plan. So a good example is a little north of Jonathan, you know, just a, 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 about 100 miles north of him is, is a, a club called Tormenta, um, Statesboro, Georgia. They, uh, had a, a, they had a really good um, um, uh, kind of semi-professional team. They came up to the professional ranks, and now they built out a full academy uh, around it. Uh, it can be done if you have a plan, but I, I think Club de Leon didn't really have a plan. Maryland Bobcats, we know, um, they're still in business. They're still very competitive. I think they have a good team on the field, but we know that they had some, uh, they were audited by the USSF last year. So uh, there are a number of examples where this doesn't work. Not everybody can be Chattanooga or Detroit. Um, you know, I, there, there seems to be this thing, and, and I'll I'll close in a minute on this, Daniel, but there seems to be this thing in lower division soccer where everybody, just from my conversations and my relationships with people, everybody wants their club to be Chattanooga, and everybody wants their club to be Detroit. And, yes, there are opportunities for other cool stories and projects that are built that can look like Chattanooga FC. But more often than not, you're going to look a lot less like Chattanooga and a lot more like how Club de Leon has ended up. So that's a, it's a cautionary tale. Um, you know, there, there, there are, uh, you're selling a dream, but you have to be smart about it. Absolutely. Once again, I'm with Carter Krishnire and Jonathan Starling from Beyond the 90, my colleagues at Beyond the 90 at duds.substack.com. Read our articles uh, on American soccer as well as local soccer from our regions as well. Jonathan, back to you. Um, obviously, it looked like that the banks uh, were somewhat sympathetic sometime around July of this year, um, and they reduced some of the payments. Uh, I guess one payment was uh, sent back due to lighting uh, issues at the Daytona Stadium. But then when the amended payment schedule was brought back into play, again, checks were being dishonored. And it's just been really a a very hard pill to swallow for that club when you're looking at their current situation of either having checks dishonored or just not being on time, I guess, or having the financial means to give that money to those vendors who run the stadium and other things involving these home games for Club De Leon. Uh, I'm, I will um, just flat out say the city of Daytona, as Cardiff mentioned earlier, basically bent over backwards for Club De Leon. Um, the, the original rental fee um, effectively was cut almost in half um, from around forty around forty five hundred a game um, to the time when in Ju in July um, they reduced it down to twenty six eighty a game. Now that was also contingent on payment being made before the game kicked off. Um, to, to mention the game that you, the the fee that you brought up. Um, 
in on June 10th, that game against Michigan Stars ended up being canceled because of weather. Um, it just that was just one of those nights where lightning and Mother Nature in the state of Florida won out. Frankly enough, of all the um, professional league games, that's the only game this year where where weather has actually won. Um, there were quite a few games in the summer leagues, but that's a tale for another day. Um, so the city, I think, was generous in returning that that rental fee, even though I mean they still they had full use of the stadium the whole night. Um, but like you said, uh, July twelfth, uh, the city emails Pub de Leon an amended schedule. Um, after they went ahead and paid for the game against Maryland Bobcats on July 12th, basically 2680 a game was the new was the new fee, and the first two payments had to include an additional 474124 to eliminate the balance. Um, and at this point, it's where it gets extremely hairy. Um, the first payment was due August 18th because, again, and just uh, and the Lisa scheduling is something that I just find absolutely bonkers. Club de Leon's technically last home match would have been June 10th, the game that got postponed. They were then on the road until July 12th and were then on the road again until September 1st. So basically, Club de Leon had plenty of time to find a way to make a payment. But at the same time, if you're on the road for weeks at a time, ticket sales are still, you know, primary revenue source. And and Carter can explain more when he passed the the rumors around the end of July, beginning of August, about the non-payments that we started hearing rumors about. But finally, on August 18th, the city of Daytona Beach said, nope, we are canceling everything until we've got our payment in full. And this is where I think if Fabian Perron may have signed his name, Olga, he may have had a little bit more leniency because he then sends an email on August 21st. The email address is irrelevant. The name on the email address is new ownership. So how can it be new ownership if you're still signing the email with the name Fabian? That was where the that's where I think his fatal flaw was because at that point the city moved very quickly to say nope, you're paying everything up front and everything ahead of time as agreed. And then on August 24th, which I think was, I think, the ultimately the kill shot from the city, Bud Dillian was told cashier's checks or checks will no longer do. It's going to have to be a money order. Lends to their belief that they knew if a check was to show up, they weren't getting paid. And on the 29th is when the city discontinued any relationship with the club. And that's a shame right there, unfortunately, because it looks like poor Rain put himself into a corner, or he painted himself into a corner, it looks like. And Cardick, obviously, uh, certain issues popped up for the league. They, I know they had to uh, postpone a match. They had to move a home match for Club de Leon to Chattanooga because they were playing Chattanooga FC, uh, supposedly in Florida. That had to be moved back to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, they awarded Flower City Union out of both Syracuse and Rochester a 3-0 forfeit victory uh, because they were supposed to go down to Florida to play against Club de Leon. And from that point on, Cardick, when you see this whole entire mess unfolding in front of you, in front of Jonathan, what does that mean to you personally when a club, especially a club in your state, is just not, meeting the demands that not only 
the bank expects, the city of Daytona expects them to move forward with their agreements and, you know, get, you know, right the ship, so to speak. What does that mean to you personally when they've been a big disappointment like this? Yeah, it's really disappointing. And as I said earlier, bad for the sport of the state. And I think it makes it more difficult. Let me tell you why it's it's a huge deal. Uh, Apparently, I don't know what the situation was with players uh, uh, getting paid or not getting paid, but it's important. Uh, It's great work Club de Leon and Fabi and Corrado have done in terms of um, uh, allowing local players to have a window and have an opportunity in a professional league like NISA uh, to showcase their talents, and, and some of them have had an opportunity to move on. But it is going to be that much more difficult for the next guy uh, or gal who decides that they want to start a club in Central Florida to go a professional club because, again, uh, part of what I stand for is, not ML- is, having, is, is preventing MLS from having a monopoly over the sport in this country. So there, will, there are some people who are listening to your show right now, Daniel, who will say, oh, well, Orlando City is around. And Orlando City can, take, can handle it all, right? Because we see how many great academy products Orlando City has produced, right? They're, they're in year, what are they now? In, uh, um, year nine in MLS, and they produce maybe two guys of, of, of note out of their academy. Uh, so uh, let's be honest, okay? And Central Florida is one of the most, uh, uh, the, one of the richest areas for, for players. Um, and Orlando City has, their, the academy itself has been kind of a vagabond academy. They've gone from uh, uh, the, from Monte Verde Academy in Lake County down to Kissimmee. Uh, they were at Lake Nona for a little bit. So, uh, you know, you have to have competition. You have to have other people developing players. You have, have to have other entities scouting and developing those players and, 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 and giving them another path, which isn't through a, uh, an MLS academy um, or through some elite youth club. So I really love what Fabian Peron was trying to do with um, Club de Leon. My concern is the next guy or gal that wants to start a team, they're going to be, it's going to be thrown in their face. Well, we're not going to rent you this field on credit because of what happened with Club de Leon. Then the stadium, uh, let's say they want to go play in Sanford uh, or they want to go play in, 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 in um, uh, Austin Tindall Park in, in Kissimmee. No, we're not going to rent you the, field, uh, the facility. And then they want to go um, uh, uh, recruit kids and they want to go try and qualify uh, for U.S. Open Cup. No, there's going to be another hurdle there. So all of this stuff is really damaging. I can tell you this even from the perspective of having worked in NASL and then worked for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, who were, when I worked in NASL, one of our uh, signature clubs, right? It was them and the Cosmos, right? Those are your two, and, and the Rowdies, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Those are your three big clubs. But once Fort Lauderdale was sold to who we thought was a, you know, was a person worth $900 billion, or $700 billion, something like that, but that person chose not to fund the team, um, and things went downhill, as you, re- as you remember, and vendors didn't get paid, and uh, um, uh, uh, people were stiffed. And, you know, I, I, I even uh, – um, I didn't sign an NDA, so I could say that I, I didn't get my full – I didn't get paid in full my, my final season with the Strikers, and I got paid late, and I didn't get – I never got paid in full um, for, my, for my work. Um, Going back to some of those same people uh, six months later for, um, for another club in the area, I couldn't get them to do anything with us. I couldn't get them to work with us, whether it was the hotel for hotel rooms for a visiting team, whether it was a vendor uh, for equipment, whether it was the, the apparel company, whether it was the company that, that sold us our uniforms, whether it was the company that uh, serviced our balls, whether it was the company that produced our our, our matches for television. Nobody wanted to work with us again. And they said, you know, we'll just wait for David Beckham's MLS team, right? That was the attitude. So this is the damage that's done when you stiff vendors, when you don't pay people. You might be doing good things. You, and, I, and I, again, I applaud Club de Leon. I think it was really important for, for soccer here in Florida, what they were trying to do. But by not meeting their obligations, they have made it that much more difficult for the next guy. And I can speak to that personally because I've been through that cycle. I've been through the cycle of having people I work closely with, and I had nothing to do with them being stiffed by the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, slamming the door in my face six months later when I went to them for Boca Raton FC or a year later when I went to them for Miami FC, which, by the way, was probably the best, the best funded club outside of Major League Soccer at the time. They just didn't want to work uh, with people again at the lower division level. 
And Jonathan, obviously, now that the door has been slammed shut by the city of Daytona, uh, apparently Club De Leon now goes to the Seminole Soccer Complex. But apparently there's even issues with them, I understand, maybe not as major as what they've been going through with Daytona, but apparently um, there's been no assignment or no scheduling of any of their matches to be played at the Seminole Soccer Complex. What have you seen from that? Trying to reach out to Seminole Soccer Complex has been uh, an experience in torture. Uh, I'd rather have my all of my teeth drilled without the benefit of anesthesia because they're not responding to any requests for comment. There's nothing on any schedule outside of what is on Nisa and Club de Leon's website uh, that the games are even being played at, at Seminole Soccer Complex. Um, the excuse being used within the NISA community is that um, the primary field, which is field one, which is the one that meets the Division Three standard, um, is undergoing field repairs. Well, that's pretty much used to anybody except for those within NISA, um, which I will give Chattanooga credit um, for basically saving money in, in the end of September and saying we're not going because we don't believe you actually have access to the field, which, I mean, NISA basically admitted to when they said that the game was being moved to Chattanooga. Um, the ironic thing to the whole situation is of all the NISA games that have been postponed this year, the only games that have not seen a makeup date are the home games involving Club de Leon. Even though when we reached out around the non-payment, Fabian Perron mentioned that the games would be made up on October 18th and October 21st, um, the only benefit is, is both games are against Michigan Stars FC, who they play tomorrow up in Michigan. My feeling on the matter is they're using the Seminole Soccer Complex name basically as a placeholder, and ultimately the three remaining home games for Club de Leon are going to be no- noted as forfeits for the teams who they're supposed to be playing. That's just crazy to understand, and I just can't believe all this stuff has been going on. I guess not only behind the, the scenes, but in front of our faces as well, guys. It's just been really, really difficult. And Cardick, you know, we've already talked about everything that's been going on with this situation, and you've shared your expertise, and of course, when you were a communications officer with uh, NASL, uh, part of Fort Lauderdale Strikers and everywhere else, uh, with club soccer uh, teams in Florida. Overall, I mean, what are we expecting here now? What is going on here that makes you think that, sadly, this could be a failure that has just completely blown up in front of us? Or shall we say, the giant sinkhole that will never be filled? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's uh, well, that's, that's a good sense of Florida analogy about the sinkhole. Uh, I had to frequent- do it. Yeah, in that part of the that part of the world, uh, um, the sinkholes are. Um, so um, it's one of my my enduring kind of horrific childhood memories was seeing a sinkhole in Winter Park uh, when I was six years old, and, and just seeing uh, which is not far from. Uh, I mean, Winter Park is the city next, uh, immediately north of Orlando. For those who don't know, um, but yeah, I, I think that this is uh, this this it, it has a, a larger uh kind of context that it's created and and it, it is it is one of several issues with nisa right now maybe you know another time we'll get into a little deeper into all the other issues and i, and I, I don't want to gloss over those because uh I'm quite frankly we would need a whole hour to go through those and go through kind of the history uh but we are also i'm going to just mention one issue which is that this has happened just at the same time as 
we have learned that NISA has not paid the referees um, for a significant period of time. And uh, I um, can uh, report and have reported, and Jonathan has reported, uh, based on our sourcing, that that happened last year, too, for a period of time. Um, and so you had the referees go on record a week ago today saying that they want the USSF to um, reevaluate NISA's, NISA's uh, professional sanction, um, which is a very, very serious thing uh, coming from the referees. And, of course, the, the sanctioning takes place in the kind of a, a pro forma thing every year at the USSF AGM. And, and um, NISA seems to remain sanctioned, even though, I mean, I find it hard to believe some of these clubs actually have meet the pro league standards. Uh, granted, as someone who, who feels the pro league standards shouldn't exist at all, um, I, I can't condemn NISA for, um, for, 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 for necessarily their approach in terms of just kind of flaunting the standards. But at the same time, um, th they haven't joined in Rocco Camiso's lawsuit uh, regarding uh, um, the, uh, the, 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 the PLS. And um, they, um, uh, they, they certainly, um, USSF has not uh, held NISA to the same standard they held the NASL to. Or the same standard, presumably, they will hold USL to if USL does go ahead and apply for Division I sanctioning. Let's, let's remember, that's, that's on the table potentially in the future if USL chooses to challenge MLS, which um, there are many in that league that would like to. So um, this, is, this is where um, the kind of duplicity argument comes in for me. And, and you know, we haven't even talked about Lawrence Gerard and New Amsterdam and all of the, the drama around NISA uh, tonight. So, uh, yeah, there's a sinkhole, and it could be a sinkhole in, in, in the professional game in this country because, again, I don't think it's in the best interest of the sport for everything to be consolidated uh, under the MLS uh, uh, pyramid in the purview. I think that's rapidly happening. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the AGM later this month in Sacramento with NTSL, and if there's some changes there that, 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 that make – um, the owner's happy, and, and maybe they can, they can kick on from there. Uh, USL has a lot of internal issues, and I, I don't know, necessarily think it's healthy to have USL's model as the sole model um, for player development and the sole home for clubs and players outside of MLS. Uh, I think USL has a very important role to play, but they cannot be the exclusive um, anti-MLS, if you will, or exclusive other path. So the sinkhole, you use the sinkhole analogy, I think it will be very, very large and very real if, if Nisa doesn't get it back together. And I, I think this is it. Like, they have to get their act together now. They need to not have more clubs like Club de Leon uh, and whoever else. You know, we could go every year, there have been, there've been two or more. I just mentioned New Amsterdam. I mentioned Stumptown earlier. Right? You know, we could mention Bay Cities. We could make, mention Valley United, right? We could mention, uh, what was that club in Syracuse last year? I can't even remember their name, right? I mean, we could, we could mention... Yeah, yeah, Pulse, right. Yeah, so they need to get, get their act together. They need to buckle down. They need to pay people. There were people, there were vendors from last year, I can report, that, haven't been paid, that were never paid by Visa, that were stiff. Um, they've got to do business properly. That means, um, that means uh, pulling back for a year and saying, okay, maybe we can't play next year, or we can only play with six teams. Hey, USSF, give us a waiver. You know, they gave USL, um, what, the old USL, help me out here, Dan, what was it called? USL second USISL. Team, right? Well, no, no, but the USL League in 2010. Remember the, uh, right. the, team, the league that Maryland, uh, Real Maryland Monarchs played in and uh, Charlotte Eagles, right? They got a waiver for one year yep. with six teams. Do you remember that? So it can be yep. done, and that was a third division. So maybe that's what Nisa has to do. Say, uh, the Pruches and Bob Friedland go to uh, Sunil. Uh, Sunil. Well, look, if Sunil were still running the USSF, we may not have some of these problems. That's a, a topic for another day. I mean, the current yep. uh, leadership of the USSF is out for lunch. But go to Cindy Cohn and say, look, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to do this right. Maybe we've overextended ourselves. These are our six real teams, right, and, and they, whoever they are, uh, Albion, et cetera, L.A. Force. We have six really good teams. Give us a waiver for one year. This is for the best for soccer, and hopefully they'll do it. That's what they probably need to do at this point. Yeah, I agree with you there, Cardick. And this is the uh, statement from 
uh, the Professional Soccer Referees Association. Uh, and it reads to this, the PSRA is aware of new occurrences of the National Independent Soccer Association failing to pay match officials for game fees earned and travel expenses incurred while working NISA matches. Many officials have not been paid for any matches in almost three months, while others have been owed payments for over a year. A year, ladies and gentlemen. Based on NISA's numerous payment issues over the past two seasons, we are requesting the following occur. One, NISA honors its legal and financial obligations by immediately paying all match officials to whom it owes money. Two, in the absence of that, we request U.S. Soccer pay match officials and deduct these amounts from NISA's performance bonds required via the professional league standards. In addition, we are calling for U.S. Soccer to re-examine professional league sanctioning for NISA. We do not make this request lightly. It is based on the numerous repeated insurance uh, instances across two seasons in which NISA has failed to make payments to match officials. It has become clear that NISA is not functioning as U.S. soccer intends through its professional league, league standards. And Daniel, Jonathan, you wanna, uh, Daniel, let me jump in for a second and say that if there are those, sure. of, uh, those out there that are really big fans of NISA who think somehow Jonathan and I and you have an agenda against them, I will tell you, and maybe, maybe I'm to blame partly, Maybe I so badly want NISA to succeed that I sat on the information. I had known for a while that refs hadn't been paid last year. I never reported it because, you know, I, I thought maybe it would damage the league and this league is trying to do things, uh, uh, trying to do good things. And they're, they're, but now that it's happened again, now it's, it's open season. So uh, for those who might be out there thinking we're out to get NISA, that's not the case. So go ahead. Sorry. No, absolutely not. Look, I don't want to go after them either, Kardec. I don't want to go get them. I mean, look, we all want you, Jonathan, and myself. We all want these clubs to succeed. We want the sport to succeed. We have no issues with anyone whatsoever. But, Jonathan, if we're being honest with ourselves and we, we're being honest with not only the American soccer audience but the, the NISA audience – I mean, this is really, you know, damaging stuff here. And, you know, for NISA to, you know, to irk their, to irk their duties in not properly paying match officials for all these games being played for these last two years, I mean, this is very, very suspicious. It's damaging stuff. And to be fair to them or to, I guess, fair to us and to the NISA supporters, you know, they got to get their act together here. And furthermore, how much money is it that the referees who try to be as impartial as possible, even though some fans would beg to differ on that, how much money are they owed that they felt it necessary to actually put out a statement like this which is effectively indicting NISA for the ultimate non-payment. Um, and, and I'm going to use a, a quote that, that Carter gave me when I wrote the article last week. As a league or a club, the first thing you do is make sure you've paid the venue and the rest. Well, up to Leon never paid the venue or partially paid the venue. And apparently many clubs have stiffed a whole bunch of referees. And let's, let's just be perfectly honest about this. These aren't the tier one referees who we see in MLS or the occasional USL game. These are referees who are working through the ranks to try and get up to the next level. You don't screw – well, first off, you don't screw people over, period. But that's what the PSRA is effectively saying is we're being screwed. And just to, to reference the performance bonds that they mention in their release, the performance bond for a Division three club is only a quarter of a million dollars. Multiply that by the number of clubs, that's – $2 million in performance bonds. 
as I put in my article, if Claude de Leon couldn't afford 10% of that performance bond, do they even have a performance bond? And quite frankly, my gut instinct says the answer to that question is no. I mean, this is really alarming, guys. And Kardec, I mean, I, I mean, you know, look, Peter Wilt, as much as I give him respect for what he has done for American soccer, creating all these clubs, not only um, in MLS and USL and NASL at the time, you know, he was a part of this NISA situation. Now, granted, you know, he took Chicago House out of NISA because of the partnership he had with that owner but still though i mean they're still around but only as an amateur side and they're going through the amateur qualification rounds as we speak again for open cup qualifying but you have to wonder now do you think peter wilt was smart enough to get out of nisa anyway even though it was an issue with a part owner or a, or a person that, that he joined forces with to create his club, his Chicago house? Because right now, I mean, they, they to me, they look like they are in serious trouble right now. Yeah, I mean, Peter is, is very savvy, and, and I'm sure Peter gave uh, uh, the league uh, advice. Remember, as you mentioned, Peter's the guy who started this league, right? I, I mean, granted, some of the, the money was coming from Jack Cummings, who then passed away, which was really, you know, a big blow for Nisa. We have to remember that. And uh, the Pooch family, who still control the league, um, along with their kind of quasi-partner, Bob Friedland, who, who runs uh, uh, LAFC, uh, runs LA Force. Um, I, uh, I, I don't want to get too deep into why I call them quasi-partners. Maybe that's for another show. But I think Peter... Peter walked away once from Nisa, right? And then he went and started forward Madison um, in USO uh, League One. It's fantastic, uh, fantastic, fantastic club, um, great market. Uh, and, uh, um, and then went and worked for the USL League office in Tampa for a little bit. Uh, then he did the Chicago house thing, um, which I think uh, was then an opportunity. Peter said, okay, uh, John, John Cruz and, and, and Nisa, they, they, they did get, their league off the ground. So now that they've gotten their league off the ground, let me put a team in. Let, let, let's, do, let's do something the right way here in Chicago. Um, and it wasn't what uh, he had expected. And, look, I, I'll tell you this. I mean, I, I've had – I hope uh, he doesn't get angry. I, I don't want to break anyone's confidence. But I've had uh, – I, I don't think he'll mind. I mean, I've had long conversations with our mutual friend Eric Stover. Uh, the former gen- general manager of Red Bull and, and uh, president of the New York Cosmos, uh, uh, former GM of Red Bull New York, um, about the NISA situation, that the year the Cosmos went in, and, and how the league was being run, and why the Cosmos uh, uh, opted uh, to not play after that. Uh, it, had, it was entirely down to the league. So, and I think Peter came around to the same conclusion. So this is another problem. You can't attract high-level guys, Okay. I think about the fact that one of the smartest guys and I think one of the best guys in the sport in this country is Michael Hitchcock, right, the former president of FC Dallas, who has now gone on to start um, about at least a half dozen teams in, in NTSL, right? Um, and H- yep. Hitch, Hitch is the guy for me at the lower division level. We work closely with Hitch at the NASL. Um, he did a lot for us doing club services. We contracted out to him. Our clubs that were struggling, we brought Hitch in. Hitch would, would just send his guys who had been FC Dallas guys, who, who had sold tickets for FC Dallas when they built Pizza Hut Park or had come from other MLS clubs. And, um, and we, got, we got the ball rolling in those places. Look at San Antonio, where Hitch, Hitch is uh, what he did with San Antonio uh, Scorpions and NASL. There is a reason I believe Michael Hitchcock has kept every single one of his teams away from Nisa. You know, no, they're logically the type of teams – they're the type of teams Nisa would want. So um, if you can't attract high-level people, high-level soccer people like the Peter Wilts, or you got Peter Wilt in, but he left, the Peter Wilts, the Michael Hitchcock, uh, the Eric Stovers, all these people we're talking about who are high-level, um, look, uh, Andy Smith, um, who's also connected to Michael Hitchcock, you know, the guy that I think very highly of. Uh, he's starting a third-division team. He decided to take that team to MLS Next Pro instead of Nisa. Another high-level guy that would enhance, enhance NISA. 
the high-level soccer people who have experience in the game in this country have all been turned off NISA. And that's another big problem for me. And that's why I, I, I really don't know if they're going to be back next year. And, and certainly I think two years from now they'll be gone unless something changes pretty dramatically. I agree. Um, and, Jonathan, it's looking like this is going to lose Chattanooga FC to MLS Next Pro. I mean, looking at the list of clubs here, um, Albion, I don't know what San, Albion San Diego is going to do. I'm assuming – L.A. Force, Maryland Bobcats, Michigan Stars, Flower City Union will remain. Gold Star FC Detroit will remain. I don't know about Savannah Clovers, but, you know, it's looking more likely, Jonathan, that Nissa is very close towards the edge of – well, I don't want to put them into the – there are going to be failures, but, I mean, let's be honest. I think they're halfway into the hole. And I have very serious reservations. Either Michigan Stars or Gold Star Detroit are back next year. Um, I don't think Club de Leon will be back. Um, I could see Savannah Clovers basically just relegating themselves back down um, to the amateur ranks. Um, Quite frankly, I think that USSF, if they are actually going to follow their pro league standards, which, as Hardik said, we can debate the merits of those, I think all nine clubs, and I think NISA as a whole needs to be audited, and I think based off that audit, there will not be a NISA next year because I don't think... um, any of the clubs that would remain maybe outside of possibly I'll be in San Diego and LA force. Now granted, and maybe Maryland because they did get hit by the audit um, independently last year can meet the actual base financial requirements. Um, The one that definitely could is, you know, as soon as this, their season is done, um, is going to announce they're leaving. And <laughs> if I was Chattanooga, I'd probably announce early. Because I think the longer they don't say anything publicly, even though they can say everything they want to privately, there's a little bit of dirt on them too. No, I agree. So, so real, so real quickly, Daniel. The, the point of Chattanooga. Uh, who are the high-level teams that have been in NISA during their existence? Uh, Oakland, Miami, Detroit, New York Cosmos, um, um, uh, Chicago House, Chattanooga. Once Chattanooga goes, every single one of those clubs would have been left the league, um, and that is a very damning statement. And Ch- like I've said earlier, Chattanooga and Detroit are kind of the models for everybody in independent soccer, and every single one of them. Uh, will have left the league, every single one of these teams. So I, that says it all, really, as to where NISA is uh, right now, and it's unfortunate we're having this conversation. NISA Nation is a whole other conversation. You know, they, they, this, a lot of this could have been solved very early, if, uh, and I, I don't want to say it was all on NISA. I think there's, some blame, there's plenty of blame, blame to go around uh, NTSL. They were very close to making an agreement in 2019, is my point, between NTSL and NISA, where they were going to work together. And it broke down. Um, you know, the, the Pruch family had met with uh, Cindy Sparrow um, and Kenny Farrell from NISA, uh, from NPSL. They were close to a deal. It fell apart. But that deal falling apart uh, then motivated NISA to mess around in the adult amateur space where it, it's also not going particularly well. Um, and I think that whole, the breakdown of that whole thing has caused uh, all these problems. So it's, again, another Another point that maybe we need people to start getting along better in, in U.S. soccer and lower division soccer and put their egos aside and, and, and make the deals for, for the betterment of the game. And, again, I'm not blaming NISA uh, uh, completely for that. I think it's 50-50. I, I blame NTSL 50% for that. Um, obviously, NTSL is in a little better standing uh, historically and just in general financially than NISA, so they're not suffering as much for, for the breakdown. But um, but it still would have been better for the game if they got together. 
All right, gentlemen, final thoughts on this uh, situation. Jonathan, we'll go to you first, and then when you're done, we go to Cardick. Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, Cardick will, 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 will tell you through the years that me and him have been friends that I have been very leery, especially after his experiences um, with the NASL, to dip my toe back into Florida Division soccer, um, just based off of what I remember from his time there. Uh, when he asked me to start covering the um, non-MLS professional clubs um, for Beyond the 90, I was very leery. Um, but Club de Leon did give me something to believe in, especially um, as the season progressed and as they were improving and you could see the tangible improvement on the pitch. Unfortunately, the, the, the pitch is only half the battle, and, it, and, and as the finances now show, they never had the finances to make the jump. Um, you know, and whoever's to blame is to blame. It's going to make me very leery in the future, even with um, the soon-to-be-made announcement that Jacksonville Armada are going to MLS Mets Pro. Sorry to break your breaking news, Jacksonville Armada. That even I'm weary of that because of what happened in Rochester. And the whole system in this country has been broken for way too many years, even before MLS has come in and mastitized. And the damning indictment of U.S. soccer is that they seem to be more caring about what Don Garber has to say than actually looking at the issues and addressing them. I agree with you there, Jonathan. Go ahead, Cardick. Yeah, I agree with all everything Jonathan said and everything I said earlier in the podcast, which is in our, in our show, actually our live show. Um, you can podcast this later, by the way, but um, in our live show that basically um, we, we need NISA to succeed. We need somebody in that independent space. We need some, some, some uh, entity that's going to link the leagues. We need some entity that's going to give uh, uh, opportunities to young players. Club de Leon was a great story, uh, as Jonathan said on the pitch. Uh, I, just fantastic what they've done. And, and how they've, uh, you know, you think of uh, uh, guys like Ken Lopez, how they have given those guys opportunities, and he's moved on apparently. He, he's not been on the roster for the last few matches. So uh, I think he's moved on to probably a better club, um, uh, probably abroad. So that is, the, that is why we need NISA. That's why we need these leagues. Um, on the subject of, uh, uh, of the game in general, you know, I, I just mentioned this NPSL, uh, when Cindy, Cindy and Kenny, you know, Cindy Farrell and Ken, Kenny Farrell met with uh, John Pruch and, and Josh Pruch, uh, Joshua Pruch and Bob Friedland in, uh, in late 2019. Um, if Sunil Gulati were still the president of U.S. soccer, he may have tried to facilitate something. He may have uh, gotten everybody in the room and said, let's work something out. Let's get this, let, 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 let's, let's stop this, this uh, feeding frenzy. Now, I, I had a lot of criticisms of Sunil Gulati. Like, this is, this is, Definitely a devil-you-know argument, because he, as everybody knows, I was a vicious critic of him when he was the president of USSF. I still think um, he tipped the scales towards MLS. I still think he made a lot of mistakes. But my view is he, having somebody there who at least um, understands the game at the lower division level, understands the women's game, understands, uh, understands the game in general, uh, is better than having the anarchy that has uh, ensued since he left which is effectively what's happened to the sport in this country. I mean, it's just the Wild West right now. So we need some structure. We need some organization. Things like this, these club failures, this, uh, uh, all of the things that have happened in NISA. I have to say, I do not think could have happened in a professional league when, if Sunil Gulati were president of the U.S. soccer. The federation would have stepped in at some point. So um, that is 
this goes back to U.S. soccer. There is one of the people, one of the, the entities that has not been paid by NISA told me, ultimately, it's the fault of the Federation. It's not the fault of anyone else. I mean, it is the fault of everybody else, but ultimately the, 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 the takeaway blame in this person's mind, and this is a person that's been stiffed by NISA, is with the U.S. Soccer Federation because they have allowed this situation to fester. And I said to this person, you know, as much as I dislike Sunil Gulati, I wanted him out of the presidency. I campaigned to get him out of the presidency. I look back on this now, and Danny, we've said this like 10 times now on this show in the last five years since Sunil left. This, this, this situation has become so much worse uh, because there's, there's no one minding the shop in reality. You know, it, it, it's become the total wild west. So that's, that's my takeaway. My takeaway is this. You know, I championed Club De Leon for their situation in the Open Cup where there was a lot of players who were cup-tied due to most of their Division One players or their, you know, professional players being involved in all that Open Cup qualification process, and they could not play in the U.S. Open Cup. They went all the way from the opening round losing to San Antonio FC while down a man in the second round of the Open Cup, even though they fell to them two goals to one. And outside of that, there's a very disappointment on my side of things to see them going through all these issues and sadly lured by Nissa to make this jump too early at when they should have been more prepared and more ready to make this particular move. They should have said, no, we'll remain in this nation until we feel we are more prepared and more ready to make the jump to the top level of your setup. And I also, yes, unfortunately, it's not all of U.S. soccer's fault, but it's still their fault because they should be paying attention to what's going on with the game in this country. So there is still a little bit of issue that does fall on the feet of U.S. soccer over in Chicago, soon to be in Atlanta, and it's just absolutely terrible. Jonathan Starling, Carter Krishnire, my colleagues at Beyond the 90. Once again, you can read their articles and mine at beyondthe90.substack.com. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Really enlightening with what you two have done on this article, on these issues with Club De Leon and Nissa. And all I can say is I hope – that it will be a positive resolution. If not, I don't want to say it, but I think you all know where the eventual uh, common denominator will be at the end of this current season. Thank you for joining us tonight. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Four Eastings Fire American Soccer Show. Uh, I want to thank my guests once again, both Carter Krishnire and Jonathan Starling from beyondthe90.substack.com. Join me this coming Tuesday night for the big show before the international break comes, and hopefully we'll have a great show for you as well. As always, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for joining us tonight, and as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now.